Hi, my name is Alad Gross. Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online, uncensored town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. Every episode is a recording of our live show with special guests and questions asked by audience members like you. Today I speak with Judy Baker, candidate for state senate in District 19 in the middle of Missouri. Judy is a former Missouri state representative who has done a lot of work in the healthcare space. And we talk about what she intends to do as state senator. Judy, are you there? I'm still here. <laughs> Wonderful. We did it. Now, this is always the most exciting part when I make sure that the guest is actually there and we can hear them. So <laughs> thanks for coming. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know that we were talking a little Great. before and you're literally coming right from the campaign trail. So tell us, tell us what, what you were doing earlier today and what you're taking time out right now uh, from what you were doing to, to come and share your time with us. Well, I'm more than happy to come uh, be with you. And, you know, if I if if I didn't show up, I know that you'd be able to fill the hour. So I'm not worried about you. Something, yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, I have my T-shirt on. You can tell uh, I've just come right off the trail. Uh, we were out got, uh, doing door to door. Of course, it's con- it's, you know, no contact door to door. We're just doing lit drop and making sure we uh, get to neighborhoods and so on. Um, we were working with uh, Carrie Chesney and uh, Justin Aldred to do that. So um, it, we are, you know, tripling our efforts. And I tell you, it, it was great. There were a few people that came out and wanted to talk. And uh, that was, uh, that to me is always a great experience because I love hearing what people um, are thinking about and what they need from a state senator and uh, so it kind of slowed me down a little bit, but I got a, I got through half my list. And when we're done, I'll go finish the rest of my list. That's, that's good. Yes, <laughs> campaign managers everywhere are celebrating that decision. So, uh, no, that's that's really great. Yeah, I mean, we were doing a lot of the uh, uh, no contact literature dropping kind of stuff. And the best part was when somebody would, you know, be outside and you'd say, hey, is it OK if I just leave this somewhere for you? And they'd want to have a conversation. So they at do. Least some they of want to talk. I'm, yeah. I'm really kind of surprised. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, well, look, a lot of folks are, are very interested. We've got folks who are watching and, and watch the show quite a bit, too. And in local politics and local government, as you very well know, is so important and oftentimes much more important than the stuff we see on TV a lot more often because Absolutely. of how much of an impact it has locally. Uh, and in our, our daily lives. So uh, could you, I guess, you know, let's start out. Could you introduce yourself uh, sure. while you're running for office? And, and, and especially when you talk about a Senate district, because a lot of folks don't know the numbers so much. Uh, could you tell us what area of the state that is? You bet. So uh, I am running for state Senate 19 against Caleb Rowden, um, who just won this seat by just two and a half points uh, four years ago in a you know a big wave that he won't have again. So um, I think we've got a really good opportunity to pick up a state Senate seat. Um, it is Boone County and Cooper County, the whole counties, each of them, Boone, all of Boone and all of Cooper. Uh, for those of you who may not know uh, what cities sit in there, so Columbia is the big city in um, Boone, and then you've got Booneville in in uh, 
the Cooper County. So plus a whole lot of great towns uh, all over those two counties. So they both of them have rural area uh, as well as the, the metro areas. So mm-hmm. that's that's where I'm um, uh, running. And uh, I've met a whole lot of new people out in Cooper. And it's been really, really fun to be in Cooper County. Um, and the reason I'm running is because I think we need better representation. There's no, there, there's no better reason to do that. Uh, we have a democracy that, that uh, needs to work. And in order for our democracy to work, our representatives need to listen to us and uh, uh, understand the values of the district that they represent. And especially when the people speak by um, ballot initiative, uh, that representative should, um, uh, you know, listen to what the people say and not try to overturn the will of the people. Uh, we have a state senator in uh, this in the in this district that has, on numerous occasions, tried to overturn the will of the people. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. a lot like we are beginning to have to govern by ballot. Yeah. The yeah. The, the Medicaid expansion is one example of that. Uh, Medicaid expansion is one of those things that they've had seven years and seven years of opportunity to pass down in Jefferson City. And and it always polled well. And um, particularly in my district, it polled well and it passed in my district at 63%. And yet our state senator voted against it every time he had a chance. I think we need new representation. So, you know, if you overturn the will of the people, we just might stand up and overturn you. Right. Right. Yes. And that's happening quite often now here in Missouri. It is. Um, And I bet there's something else on the ballot uh, that will be on the ballot in November along with you. And that's a great example of this. That will be Amendment 3 which is an attempt to overturn Clean Missouri, which we just passed uh, uh, here in Missouri for for redistricting and a lot of other ethics reforms and everything else. And that's currently in court over what kind of language will be used there. Um, But what are your your thoughts about Amendment 3? Uh, And I mean, I guess that, that especially how it connects to Medicaid expansion, all, I mean, this whole kind of line of of how the legislature continues to try to overturn things that we pass, uh, but also isn't passing things that we would like it to, which is a reason why we're even proposing in the first place. Um, so exactly. have, have you been talking about Amendment 3 at all? Has it been coming up? Oh, yeah. Time? Amendment 3 actually passed in Senate District uh, 19, our district, just two years ago. Mm. It passed with 72 percent of right. yeah. the vote. And our state senator was one of the uh, spearhead senators that marshaled through the the, the um, uh, new new initiative or not an initiative. It's not a ballot initiative. It's right. not from the people. It's right. from the politicians. Um, it is uh, you know the legislature trying to overturn the will of the people that actually did a ballot initiative and went to the ballot in 2018, passed it statewide at 63% and it passed in district 19 at 72% mm-hmm. and our senator um worked really hard to overturn it yeah yeah it's and it's uh, because they're afraid yeah you know it's politics because i'm afraid i might lose some power or i might lose a district or we might not um uh, or we we might have to do the will of the people when it comes to minimum wage and right to work and um, you know accountability 
um, and, and corruption and pay to play. And, you know, so, you know, what's being done now in Jeff City right now is really just what people pay for. Right. What, you know, you've got lobbyists and you've got PACs and you've got huge donors and they're they're doing the will of those folks, but they are not doing the will of the people. Right. Right. Yeah. It's uh, oh, we lost you. Hold up over here for a second. Bring you back. I'm Don't still worry. here. Don't worry. OK, wait, hold that. We're bringing you back. I got a little tech. Yeah, look at this. This is fun. Um, but see, now you're Judy and I'm not. So the way that, that that's not working either. Hold up. We'll get you right back in here. I'm, I'm not worried about you. I'm gonna put this guy here. See, this is like the fun stuff on the TV and everything. When we try to eliminate, figure it out. And now I'm putting this guy in. We've got a lot of cameras going and everything else there. We're back. Now you're Judy and I'm a lot against. So that's great. Uh so I, I, you know, I guess for folks, and I think you might be, if I'm not mistaken, and someone is probably going to correct me as soon as I say this, but I think you're the first candidate for state senator. You're not the first state senator who's been on. We have had a state senator on before, uh, uh, Brian Williams, who we talked a lot about uh, issues around violence and, and issues around uh, police right. reform and justice reform, uh, which he's working very passionately on. What is... I guess in, in your for your vision and um, you know this is something we actually have a comment already I'll bring that in in a little bit but your vision for what a state senator should be doing in Missouri um, what that role should be what the job basically what the job requires for folks who are a little bit less familiar. Yeah, so I was a state representative, so I was on the uh, the more scrappy side of the uh, Capitol, and the Senate chamber is where um, you know there's there's more negotiation. There's usually more collegiality. I will say that since I've been there, so much of Missouri has become more polarized, unfortunately. So we had, uh, you know, hopefully what I hope to do, and I actually have some friends that I served with as state rep who are at the, in the state Senate still. And yeah. I hoped, and they were friends. And, you know, the, the thing, the great thing about a state Senate seat is the ability to, um, uh, have collegiality to work across the aisle to be you know come to understandings um, and then when you don't and an issue is important enough for your district you can stand up and you can stay stood up and you can stand up all night if you need to in order to you know make sure that the the impact of whatever whatever legislation is being um, considered uh, is 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 understood and heard and by the senators, um, you know, and then, I, I, you know, I hope to, to be able to work across the aisle on solutions that will matter to um, the state. I hope to, you know, after I've left the state, the state as a state representative of the state house, I had about 13 of my bills pass after I left mm -hmm. um, because they were good ideas. But, you know, they I was continually told, you know, we can't pass them for you because you're a Democrat. But once I left, they were able to be adopted by folks and passed. And I, I was glad about that. I've never been to a, a bill signing, never been invited. But uh, <laughs> several of my ideas um, ended up getting passed. And I'm proud of that. As a senator, I think it'll be a little different. You know, when I come up with an idea, I'm going to be able to work with senators across the aisle and and work on what would be a, a good thing to move along. Yeah. Uh, so I hope to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've got several things I want to work on. So, mm-hmm. well, um, what, what are some of, some of those things? So some of the, I guess the, the issues that you're running on, uh, but also, I mean, with your experience having worked in the legislature and knowing the practicalities of all of that, uh, right. and yeah, you're right. I mean, it is so much more polarized now it feels, um, you know, what are, what are your, I mean, what are your, your basic running issues, but also issues that, you know, you maybe are a little bit under the radar you'd like to work on when you get to the legislature? Uh, well, I'll get to the ones under the radar in a moment. Uh, some that are on the radar are, you know, we just passed Medicaid expansion, but in many of the states that conservative states that passed Medicaid expansion, um, the legislature then went in and, and manipulated it and gutted it. And, right. you know, <laughs> right. so I want to be there as a healthcare expert, uh, both in public health and in, you know, the healthcare delivery system. I want to be able to be there to say, you know, implementing healthcare uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, while tricky, can be done in such a way that we all meet our goals. You know, where because there's a lot of opportunity in the Medicaid expansion to do the things with Medicaid that we want to do in order that it is the safety net it needs to be, right. and it is also um, the the insurance gap provider. Right now, we have a lot of people who are working, and if they're working two jobs, let's say which mm-hmm. a lot of people are doing, they aren't getting health care because they're part-time in both, right. right? But they're still working. And they could be working even 40, 60 hours a week, but they still don't get health care. So Medicaid expansion allows for, because you what the expansion means is that you're, you've raised the, the eligibility level so that people can still make money, work, mm-hmm. and get this as their safety net insurance. And, um, you know, and it kind of is a, it's designed as one of those stair step ups instead of cliff off, you know, as you, so let's say you start making more money than even the expansion, then that makes you eligible for the insurance marketplace, which has is stair stepped up and not cliff off. And which means if you start making more money, then you get less subsidy, more money, less subsidy, but it's not no subsidy whatsoever for your insurance. So, um, I'd like to get in there and get my hands dirty on a lot of our social programs that we can redesign to um, be that stair step up and not cliff off mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that as people would get a, 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 like a, a dollar raise um, in a new job or something, they can actually take that job without losing all of their, say, ch- child care or food stamps or whatever. Right. We, you know, our, our, our social systems are kind of designed in a way that uh, keeps people down. And I want to change that. Economic opportunity is probably my biggest thing. So one of those things that's off the radar that a lot of people don't know about is I've been working for um, to make sure that kids were able to be part of the most 529 program, which is the college savings program that we as a state passed um, in order to help low income families um, have a, an investment mechanism to start saving, saving for college, even if it was small amounts of money. And what I found out uh, when I was on the trail four years ago for treasurer was that the most 529 program, while subsidized for low-income families, had only 3% of the participants were low-income families. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I actually started a not-for-profit that um, helps to provide uh, kindergartners, kindergartner families with access to that program. Um, What I would like to do um, and there is a bill already, but it didn't make it through very far this year. Um, um, I would like to make sure we marshal through a statewide uh, fix for 
that low income family that can't get can't um, doesn't is not even aware of the most 529 program. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. Um, it's all about economic opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And you've, I mean, you've done a lot of work in the, as, I mean, as you kind of alluded to right there, in the in the healthcare space, in the public service space. Could you talk a little bit about your background there? Sure. Um, so uh, I was actually in the private sector till about, uh, well, till I ran for office state rep. And I was in, you know, uh, private health care. I ran large uh, health care systems. And one of the things I came across all the time was when, like, for instance, if we couldn't if we couldn't see a patient because they didn't have any insurance, um, it just would break my heart. And I'm like, well, we, we need to change that. And, uh, you know, my staff would all say, well, then you need to go, you need to change the law in order to do what you want to do. And I mm. finally said, OK. Let's do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I ran for state rep, and I, I worked on uh, healthcare committees and the education committees primarily. I was also on the small business committee, and so uh, so I had private experience, which is really, really uh, was really um, a really good foundation for being able to now turn to policy. Um, so state rep um, learned how policy works, how um, negotiations work, and all of that. And then I, uh, after I ran for Congress, almost picked up a con- congressional seat in 2008, um, was picked up by the Obama administration to be the regional director for health and human services. Mm-hmm. And I spent some time um, helping with the implementation of um uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, but I also did some really fun things like uh, not well. Uh, it, we had the um, uh, um, agency, the you know the fam, the agency for ch- children and families. I'm, I'm trying to remember all the names of yeah. them. And yeah. for you know, we, so we had children and families agency, and then we had a, the seniors uh, agency, which is now the uh, agency for community living. I think, okay. um, which is a which is a great group of people. And um, I also was part of the team that responded to the Joplin tornado when, you know, the tornado came through and completely ripped um, a whole hospital off of its foundation. And um, there were uh, uh, 130 some casualties and a lot of injured. And our team was the response, the health response team. And we actually had just done an exercise where we put up the mobile medic- medical unit like four days before that down in Springfield. And so we were able to put that mobile medical un- unit up almost immediately right after the tornado because people were actually coming out of the field still four and 10 days later, Yeah, you know, yeah. because they didn't know where they were. And um, so we did a mental health response. Uh, I led the effort for a mental health response uh, for children and seniors primarily um, for the Joplin tornado. And we also made sure providers were able to practice in new spots because they weren't able to practice from their clinics. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a very, um, very enriching experience for me um, to have, you know, make sure all of the public health response was there. Uh, we worked with FEMA and and all and do all of the agencies, the state agencies, and so on. Yeah. So that was a great experience. And then um, I have done um, since then. Um, I ran for state treasurer, mm-hmm. and that was a really bad year to run. <laughs> it was in 2016. <laughs> that was a tough one. Yeah. But um, this year is better, um, and this this seat is better for me. It's better suited for what I think I can do 
overall with policy because I have more than just one area of policy that I feel like I right. can lend my expertise in. Right, right. And it must be nicer on uh, uh, travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, you know you, I do. a lot. <laughs> I do. You know better than I think anyone what I it do. is to do. Dun 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 dun. Do an event. Dun 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 dun. Do another event. Dun 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 dun. Do an event. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Uh, oh man, I, I looked at the statistics the other day, but I think over like the six hundred and thirty something days that I was running. I did 560-something events, so there were a few days there where it's everything. <laughs> it was quite a few, but it's I'm all over. I'm glad you kept track. That's, that's wonderful. I, yeah, I, you know, I tried because yeah. we were doing this whole big transparency push, and so, like, every two was Transparency Tuesday, which I'm trying to bring back in a special <laughs> way now. I don't know how quite yet, but it would be like, oh, here's, here's exactly where your donations went. Like, it went to fill up the gas tank so I could go to Boonville, which I, uh, I got to go to quite a few times. Um, and so, they love you there. Some great, oh man, Cooper County is a is a fun spot. So it's a it's a good spot. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You have a very fun uh, district, I think. Probably one of the the more fun Senate districts in the state. Uh, and you've got a lot of. I mean, you just like the folks that you were talking about, which I think is wonderful. Uh, other people who are running for office, and then working with them, helping them, because this really has to be a community effort if we are going to get this done and make sure the state is working in a way. Because, I mean, there are, unfortunately right now, with the, the current way that the system is, uh, so much of what's happening in our government is is being bought by somebody who has that money, who has that power. And, right. uh, you know, for the rest of us who are sitting over here hoping that something works and that we get highly qualified people into those positions, uh, we, we're, we're sitting at a disadvantage looking like, well, wh- what is that government really doing? And, uh, you know, it's just, it's sad to see, but it's great to see, um, you know, somebody with, with your experience um, willing to do it. Uh, you know, I wonder what your thoughts are, because unfortunately there are a lot of people in Missouri who would be high, like super qualified to run, don't think that they can or they should. Maybe they're like mystified by the process. Uh, but some of them are just like, you know, it's not, it's not worth it. And I mean, you are, you just talked about, you know, times where you had bills that you wrote that were passed only after you left. Uh, but I wonder, you know, what, what keeps you optimistic to the point that you are deciding to run? Cause you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very hard process. Oftentimes there's a lot of sacrifices you have to make. What, what gets you motivated to go back and do it again? It just, uh, it's really simple. It's going to sound politician-y, but it's, <laughs> it's people. Yeah. It's people and the need that I see out there. And uh, my, you know, my parents raised me to be a public servant. Uh, when, you know, my mom was a school teacher and my dad was in the military. Um, he, but he was also in the medical field and he, uh, he served so many people, um, through what he did. Um, he, you know, he was in the military during Vietnam war and, um, uh, was, uh, a physician and, you know, pretty much helped put the Vietnam vets back together back in the day. And I've just been always been taught that when you see a need, you don't just sit around and complain about it. You don't, you, you get up. And you do something, you know, it's kind of see something, do something Mm -hmm. (laughs) was my whole life. So I see the need. Um, I think that our country 
has been going in the wrong direction for a long time, um, economically mostly. Um, you know, I think that the pay-to-play politics uh, plays a big part of that. And, um, for you know, for instance, my opponent has received over $3 million in PAC funds. Um, you see our campaign dog in the back. I was about to ask. Yes, this is wonderful. That's Izzy. She's our campaign dog. Izzy? Izzy's um, name? Huh? What's what's your dog's name? Izzy. Izzy. This is Izzy. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. We so so we um uh we have quite a Missouri furry friend Friday following here. So animals usually <laughs> give quite a bump on the podcast. So that was a very good move by Izzy to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> the furry friend following. Yes. Um. So what I was saying is he you know he's taken over three million dollars in his political career in in PAC funds and lobbyist funds and so that. It just seems like that's what's getting done right now yeah. is the bidding of really well-heeled interests and not the interests of real people. Mm-hmm. We have seen an erosion of the middle class. We have seen a, an erosion of uh, any kind of economic mobility, the ability we, you know, to just move up, to have a family-supporting job. Um, you know, and that's, I want to fight for that. I think that that is what my, my life is meant for is to fight for the things that, that support families, which is, which includes, you know, uh, uh, healthcare yeah. and it, and it include you know, and a whole, I, I, and when I say healthcare, I mean, affordable healthcare, right. of course, the more affordable we make it, the more, um, well fit, uh, all of our healthcare is the more that we'll be able to to supply healthcare for everyone, but I also mean that everyone should have it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason any one person in our country should have to worry about healthcare. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's going to take taking out some of the middlemen who take profit who profiteer off of healthcare. Um, it's the same with higher education. I think, um, that I, you know, I support public higher education. I support public schools. Um, and I, I believe that people like me, if we don't stand up and make the case for why we have to have those, we could lose all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And almost have, I mean, you know, my opponent keeps saying he's done so much for the university of Missouri and it's just not the case. Mm. You, you, there has been a, a, more than a decade-long decline in uh, support to the University of Missouri. And, in in fact, it, you, when I went started as a state rep, 30% of the budget for University of Missouri was pr- um, provided by tuition and 70% was provided by the state. <laughs> that has flipped yeah. in just uh, during the Republicans, the GOP's um, leadership reign. Yeah. So— I, I'm going to hold them accountable and say we're not going to lose public education, public, so that everyone can go. Right, right. <laughs> everyone has access. Right. Same with healthcare. Yeah. Same with economic op- opportunity. So I think they've done a poor job with farming too. The family farm. I mean, the fam- We've lost the family farm in the time that the GOP has been in leadership. I don't understand why there's a question about who, uh, why, you know, what, who farmers should support. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough, you know, I mean, 
what what you see in so many of these areas is such a concentration of power, oftentimes corporate, in just a few institutions. And so you have created these monopolies in a system that was designed not to have those, to actually prevent those. Like we had laws to say we don't want these coming back when they did start coming. In competition, you know, we talk about capitalism a lot and, and oh, I'm, you know, I'm a capitalist or socialist or something. But, but capitalism exists when you have competition. That's the foundation That's right. of it. And That's right. saying that, no, I'm going to, you know, give all of these things, all of this power away to the very few is not – that's not capitalism anymore. It's the destruction of it and the corruption right. of it. And, right. I mean, you see that with, with agriculture um, in Missouri as well and, and some very big players that give a lot of money to these um, – these, I mean, they're, they're just corporatists at that point and not even – they're monopolists at that point. Well, um, it doesn't even have to be an American corporation. Right. Right. So the foreign the the you know, they've allowed the foreign ownership of so much land in the state of Missouri. It's it's just mind boggling. Mm -hmm. And the foreign ownership of of farming. Um, I think that if more people knew about that, they would be just absolutely appalled. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I mean, Smithfield, which is uh, uh, now a Chinese owned corporation at the time. If you all haven't seen this, there's some. Wonderful. It was. I think PBS did some kind of an interview uh, where where Smithfield at the time was an American corporation. It was being sold out to uh, a, a Chinese conglomerate, some kind of entity. And uh, there were questions because those have to go to Congress and to the federal government for approval and everything else. And uh, uh, they said, "Oh, there's no involvement here with the Chinese government." And PBS literally sent some reporter to China to talk to the person who runs this corporation that bought it and uh, said, did you, have, did you have any support from the Chinese government? It's like, oh, yes, absolutely. We were directed to do this by the Chinese government. So it's just like, wh- like we, we couldn't, like a reporter was able to figure that out, but nobody, and, you know, with all the investigatory power and the responsibility, really, to do that didn't. And now we have that problem right here in Missouri, and that's why that law was changed to allow so much uh, foreign ownership of land was because of Smithfield and the, the sale of it. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Ooh. And you know, I, I, you know, I, I know Missourians. All Missourians care about the economics of this. I mean, it's and it's happening in payday lending too. I call it the yeah. big sucking sound of the money going out of Missouri to foreign companies, foreign corporations, or big corporations that don't even live here. Right. Um, so I, I really like, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to find out where it all is. Where's the money? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where is Good. it going? Please. Where's Missourians money going? Yes. Please do that. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an absolute extraction from especially the middle class in America. And we're just, extracting as much as we can out of it. And unfortunately, our state, uh, and it's not just in, uh, you know, we, we talk about uh, what what some of the uh, the economics are doing to it too, but we, we talked about why we're even in this situation because there is so much corruption in the government uh, and, and purchasing right. of government decisions. You look at, at this dark money stuff that I talk about all the time, and you see that these consultants come in from out of the state. They come in and set up these huge contraptions to just take money from people. And, you know, a lot of times it's being used to like buy a policy or something. Most of the time, much of that money is actually being used to line someone's pockets who's setting up this scheme. 
and then they go, they, they install somebody into a position of power, and they leave and they go do it in another state, and now you've yep. got that person who's bought and paid for, and that's not benefiting even if you want to argue, oh, well, you know, there should be a whole bunch of money in politics, which most people don't agree with already. But even if you wanted to argue that, that's not benefiting us. Either. That's also an extraction from Missouri for someone else's benefit in some other state who wants to take even more from us. And it's very it's upsetting to see. And I get a little worked up about so it. So back to, back to the people. Yes. That's, that's kind of where we started this conversation. Right. Uh-huh. So I got into this for the people. Uh, my campaign, um, as of June the 30th, my campaign had almost 900 um, individual contributors. And um, in the same period of time, that those three quarters that I was fundraising, my opponent had 22 individuals. Yeah. The rest was all PACs. Yeah. And so it's like it is it is such a huge contrast, close to 900 versus 22. Yes. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, we're seeing that in quite a few races, too. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's so you you're know, right. It's, so where's the money going? So why? What, what, what does the money buy? You know, and, mm-hmm. I, you know, we talked about some of it. It's bought foreign ownership of farmland. It's bought um, uh, corporate monopolies the ability to have almost monopoly everywhere. We don't break those up like we used to. <laughs> um, it buys access to contracts. It buys all kinds of things, you know, even in healthcare, it buys stuff. I'll know how to find that money. Yeah. Just, it's important to know. I mean, you mm-hmm. need someone who knows how to look for it. And, you know, it's just like another, just along mm-hmm. that same vein, you know, be, we put such a premium on that connection with people, right? And, I mean, you were just right. talking about when you're going uh, – just dropping off literature and not even trying to knock on anybody's door. Uh, people are still coming out and they want to talk to you about the different issues. And we, we that accountability piece, that understand that involvement piece is very important to so many of us. And when you look at a campaign that's got hundreds of people who are donating, who's doing that outreach, who's trying to reach folks versus somebody who's got – 20 something uh you're not even making an effort because you know it's easy you know you know you can just get this without having to make an effort and i think it's really it's hurt our public institutions so much that i think now you see so many more people who are just turning it off and saying i don't even belong like this doesn't even matter to me anymore right uh and it's just you know it's really sad to see that that's i I do see some of that i ran into one lady who says i don't vote i don't vote and i go you don't vote she goes, I don't vote. She wouldn't even take a piece of literature because she's just done with the whole system. Yeah. She was just done. You were talking about the middle class, and I think it's really important that we talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, when I first uh, worked as a state rep, I, I heard a lot when we would talk about, you know, the social programs that support a family to have the economic mobility I've been talking about. Um, you know, some of that just takes programs. It takes policy. It takes uh, the infrastructure for building families. Like, like you've heard recently, uh, Elizabeth Warren talked about the infrastructure mm-hmm. that childcare is. You know, things like that. Um, and when we would talk about that, I'd hear a lot of argument back that talked about the redistribution of wealth. Well, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about redistribution of wealth. Well, you know, with all of the tax breaks recently and for the past decade plus. Um, I do think we've had a redistribution of wealth. Yeah. And I do think that the redistribution of wealth has been 
the redistribution of wealth to the wealthy. Mm -hmm. And and there has been another great sucking sound (laughs) of money out of the middle class. Um, And now, you know, it's just people are just trying to make it and just trying to get by instead of having um, future supporting jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, a job that has um, not only health care, but it has, you know, time, time that you can spend with your family. Yeah. It has, yeah. um, it, you know, it has a retirement that you can build your future so that you can plan for your future. I mean, all of these things are the things that make for uh, economic mobility and the and the ability to have a future and to build a future. We've lost a lot of that. Some of that has to do with with the decline of uh, labor and unions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you can you, you can see the the, the decline um arc go down over the years is the same. That's the same decline of the middle class. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to have, uh, you know, more, I mean, there's been this war on labor and war on collective bargaining, war on unions. Um, so that less, there's less and less people, um, membership of unions and, you know, unions used to fight for, they first, they first brought for our weekend. They gave us our weekend. Right. And now we wouldn't give that back. If, <laughs> um, but a lot of people don't have weekends. Yeah. Um, anymore either um, yeah, because they can't take any time off because right. they're just scraping by month to month. Right. So, right. you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see more um, union membership. I'd like to see us grow um, that kind of collective voice so that a worker can, can uh, have a voice at the table um, when it comes to, you know, building their family. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, just the system that we're in, has built been built so much around, uh, you know, checks and balances and all that. I mean, now we're, we're struggling with that a little bit, but this, this concept of, you know, power checking power because anybody with complete power, uh, that corrupts right in itself. Right. And, and that was the, you know, the concept behind unions was, you know, especially when these corporations got so powerful that you needed some kind of power to then balance it, right? Right. And uh, I mean, that's like just the economic argument behind it. And right. uh, yeah, with the, the I mean, now you're seeing right another increase. Oh, it's, it feels very much like Gilded Age Part Two, right? Like we have to get back to the cycle and do it all over again. And the problem is, and I, I think you kind of see that even with. You know, if you look at campaign finance and campaign uh, ethics issues, is that folks have learned over time, and so they're entrenching their power to a degree that's a little bit different. The same kind of concept behind it, but they're entrenching their power in a more sophisticated way, so it's harder to combat it. And uh, you know, I, I think I think you're totally right, especially when you talk about labor and economic balances. That we are certainly out of out of balance right now. Uh, in our current system. Yeah, believe it or not, you know, the conservative, uh, even the conservative capitalist uh, ec- uh, economist, Milton Friedman, mm-hmm. uh, he he was for unions. He was for labor yeah. as a competitive, to make a competitive market. Right. To make sure there was a competitive market, you needed unions. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that Adam Smith, the guy I bring this up all the time and I've got staff that always makes fun of me because they're like, no one knows who Adam Smith is anymore. I know, and, right? Some people do. I mean, you still know. But Adam Smith, who was uh, the, the founder, or at least the, 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 the idea behind capitalism, the wealth of nations, if you ever heard of that too. But 
uh, he uh, was very much in belief that there needed to be some kind of a strong regulation of that economy because the economy needed to have rules. And we needed to set them as a society so that the economy wasn't just running all by itself. It's that it was designed to benefit people. Again, back to people. That's a, that's exact, and a lot of businesses would would do so much better if we had if we laid a, a foundation that made a, a level playing field right. for everybody. Exactly. We don't have right. level playing fields when you have this much corruption in politics. Exactly right. And I think a great yeah. example of that you look at small businesses right now that have been asking for tax parity because right now uh, you can go and shop online. And those online, those massive online retailers have a huge tax advantage over small businesses right here in Missouri. And small businesses report year after year after year, including in a, you know, what you would think a a stronger conservative uh, state that that touts, you know, pro-business and everything else has not been serving our small businesses at all. It's it's put them at a disadvantage. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. 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 <sighs> yeah, we did have. Uh, I know. <sighs> sigh. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Just oh, the, the sigh. Yeah, but uh, we had a comment. We're going to change it all a lot. We're, we're going to change get the in whole there. thing. The whole thing is going to change. That the whole, you know, the good parts will keep, but the bad parts they can go. So, <laughs> Kay had a comment. Uh, put it on the screen. Uh, it doesn't help that Moleg took away local control, allowing KFOs into small towns. Right. We have no say over it now. Yeah, it's a very good point. And for those of you, we actually talked about this last episode too. Uh, it came up, but these concentrated animal feeding operations. Uh, and actually, in, in Cooper County, I think they had one of those local regulations against it from a health ordinance perspective that the uh, state government was trying to take away that control. Right. Um, yeah, That's what are your right. thoughts about KFOs in general? Oh, absolutely. We need more local control and regulation, uh, you know, allow our health departments to work the way they're supposed to, uh, especially with these industrial livestock operations. Um, We need to protect our health and our resources. Um, You know, I also think that COVID has shown that we need to diversify our our food chain, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, um, because and maybe try and decentralize it, which is a big word for saying we need more family farming right. again. Um, we need to diversify and decentralize the food system, uh, ensuring uh, its stability in times like COVID. Because um, we saw, you know, if one plant goes down because a, a virus went through it and you lose one plant, you, you could lose it in a flood, you could lose it in, uh, you know, over disease. If, if one plant goes down, you know, we were all really worried we weren't going to have meat <laughs> there for a minute, right? So, um, you know, I just think that we need to be supporting the family farm and stand up for our family farmers the way we should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an investment in the future. It's an investment in rural communities. You know, not it's not just about health care in rural communities. It's also about this kind of family supporting um, jobs and family supporting farms. Mm hmm. Yeah. That, you know, that will that that will bring the rural lifestyle back that people want. And, you know, it's not it's not only happening in Cooper County. I mean, Boone County is having the same. We have some CAFOs that want to want to move into Boone County. Yeah. So because we've got outside of Columbia City limits, we have quite a bit of rural um, land that yep. pe- people because it's close to I-70 and all of that, that it looks attractive. Yep. Yep. Franklin County uh, is another one where. They actually had this zoning, so you know you got a zone for it or whatever, and they had this zoning proposal, 
And so they put up the map of where they were proposing CAFOs could go. And it was like, I can't remember what color. It was like a light gray or something. And yeah, I, was, I remember I was looking at the map because they were showing it to me. I was looking at the map and the entire thing was light gray. I said, what, where, where is the zone for it? It's like that. The entire county. Well, yeah, except for like this little strip here. And I, oh, okay. The whole county. Yeah. How does that work? Right. Yeah. So that could be anyone's backyard. In other words, it could be anyone's backyard. You do not want a pig farm, (laughs) especially a concentrated one in your backyard. You do not want that. Uh, I mean, you know, Iowa, uh, Iowa loosened its regulations on CAFOs, and they are now sorry for it. Yeah. Nebraska did the same thing. My husband and I about, oh, I guess it was probably eight years or so ago, we went through Nebraska um, in the interstate that goes all the way across it. And for a good hour, huh. um, we could hardly breathe. Yeah. It was so the stench was so awful for about an hour of, you know, pig farms after yeah. pig farm, after pig farm, CAFO. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't, I don't, I don't think Missouri wants that. I don't yeah. think Missouri yeah. wants to go in that direction. I mean, you know, other States have started to go in the opposite direction. So let's learn from them. You know, um, they've shown us we're show me state. They've shown us. It's not uh, all that good. <laughs> yeah. To, and uh, you, I mean, you talk about farm and, you know, put in a capo. Well, yeah, and I mean, we talk about extraction from the middle class. They ain't going to put any of these in very wealthy neighborhoods. Those folks are going to get that zone the right way. But those folks who are going to lose out, uh, especially when so much uh, American wealth is tied into home values. I mean, right. that those are the communities that are going to be the hardest hit by it. again, right. again. Right. Um, I, I understand that we have a food chain that has to feed millions, hundreds right. of millions. I understand that. But we can do that with a more diversified, decentralized system that's that's more stable. Yes, that, agreed. And I mean, we've done it for a long time too. Uh, I mean, we just you know we haven't been enforcing, and I, you know I talked about this a lot too because we can do this on the state level, um, especially from the attorney general's office, but the federal level too for uh, antitrust right. law uh, and antitrust right. protections. And honestly, you do hear there there are some folks. Um, in the more conservative side of things who look at this and say, especially when it comes to issues around like privacy and privacy rights, about really looking at some of this concentration, especially in the tech space, uh, I wish they applied that same kind of lens to uh, everything else that's impacting us. But at least maybe that's a start. Maybe that's a place where folks can find some common ground. I don't know, but um, I hope so. My district, my still staying on rural issues. My district lost a hospital just recently, just six months ago. They lost a hospital. Boom! They announced it one day and it was closed the next. Yep. And um, so you know, I want to bring my healthcare expertise to make sure we don't close uh, rural hospitals. That we give them what they need to stay open for starters. Mm -hmm. Now I realize that in Cooper County there were some management problems with that hospital. But that's because a management company from outside came in and, you know, tried to profiteer off of whatever. They did some very, they they did some specific lines of service that they were just trying to profiteer off of it. And um, I think that we need to support our county hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Medicaid expansion is one of those things that will help um, be at least some, you know, some funding stream for the patients that a county hospital would see. And, 
Um, I also want to, one of the things uh, below the radar that you said, mm -hmm. you know, tell us what you're thinking about below the radar. One of the things I'd like to do for rural hospitals um, is to make sure that there is some regulation that does not allow a hospital to close um, the next day and not have a plan for what's going to happen with that community's health care. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been around hospitals long enough to know, you know, if you're going, you're struggling and you're going to be closed, having to close. So, you know, uh, I think there should be at least a two month window where you start working with the community and you make a plan for what's going to happen with the, with the health care. You, you know, if the community wants to step up and take care of that hospital and take that hospital over, they get the opportunity to do so. Um, you know, I think there just needs to be some regulation that doesn't allow a hospital to just close the next day. That's that's really great. I, I love that idea. I mean, almost like a receivership type model or exactly. something. Yeah, uh, right. I think that would be great. Yeah, I know. I was in. Um, um, I got to really call this doctor back. He was really lovely. But in uh, Nevada, uh, I was. They, they were talking about a hospital that wasn't doing so hot. Uh, they needed more funding, so they were trying to pass a local tax increase and a doctor came in who's who's a republican he came in to to present on and i was presenting at the same meeting and uh we got to hang out a little bit uh but one of the questions came was would medicaid expansion help and he's like yeah yes it would it absolutely would uh, absolutely would <laughs> yeah it's like yes please goodness gracious do this uh but yeah i mean even now when we're talking about uh the the coronavirus covid and everything else there's some of the uh rural hospitals that have had to expend resources in ways they weren't expecting. They were already not doing so well. Right. And there are some right now that are close to capacity and uh, some of the ICUs and, you know, what, when they do have the capacity there. Um, and so we do have to be careful, especially right now during the pandemic, that we are looking at those issues and continue to look at them. And so I, I hope that we can get this thing, this Medicaid stuff uh, implemented very soon and very well and, and hopefully won't be thrown. I just, you know, you just... I guess you start to naturally feel that in Missouri that someone's going to throw some kind of a wrench in there because that's just what we're used to now. We're just expecting well, it. There's, so. And there's a lot to consider yeah. in expanding and doing it the right way. So I hope to be there. And, yes. um, you know, I, I, I don't have um, I don't I don't have a learning curve. Yeah. On healthcare issues, I you know I'll be able to tell if a proposal um, to do this or that with it is a good one for the people or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's look. I remember going. Right there, I right? do remember going when I was state rep. Um, I was the first one to go to the microphone and say, "You know, if you do this, rural hospitals are going to close." Mm. Yeah. And you know, yeah. no one believed me on the other side of the aisle. They didn't believe me. Well, that's not going to happen. There's going to be the all these other things to step in, and it did not happen. I said rural hospitals are going to close, and they did. We've had like 13 since that time. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that sometimes we've got to see that to believe it too. But, yeah. uh, you know, you could just look at the spreadsheets and the numbers and figure that out before it happens. That would be nice. But, right. yeah, you know, <laughs> that would be. Yeah. Um, we had a comment here, and since we're kind of getting towards the the end, I think it's a good one because we got it early and I wanted to put it on. Let's see if I can get it up on the screen here. It's from Brian. It's going to be a big one. So 
I met Judy Baker when I was an intern in the state legislature many years ago. She is one of the smartest people I've ever met. Missouri would be better if she is serving in any capacity. Don't have a question, but you are both amazing. So that's oh, wow. pretty great. That's Look, great. Testimonial Keeps right here. Many people, I guess. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a really it's a really good sign having worked with folks in the legislature and visited quite a bit, and you know, provide testimony, but also work with a whole bunch of folks on legislation. It's a it's a very good testimonial when folks who have worked in that building, especially as interns or legislative assistants, uh, vouch for you because those are the folks who really know you behind closed doors too. So, uh, no, that's really great. Thanks for, for watching, Brian. Appreciate it. Um, well, I want, you know, I, one, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Is there, you know, I know we've covered a lot and this was a really great conversation. Jim was watching too. was agreeing. He put a comment in there. Um, but you know, I wonder, is, is there any, I guess, last thoughts that you'd like to leave folks with, um, you know, about, about the race, about politics in general, especially about local government, but anything that you've got on your mind that you'd like to share? Well, the only thing that we have not talked about that's actually incredibly important to me is, um, building, uh, making sure that I'd like to see Missouri be the leader or become a leader, at least in, uh, a room, uh, a, a renewable energy economy. Yeah. And, um, I think we have a great opportunity to do that. We've got, um, some tech sectors that can help with that. We've got, you know, lots of, uh, opportunity either in, in wind or solar or, um, hydro, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was in, I, I was lucky enough to go to Costa Rica right before the COVID hit. And they are almost, they are like 95% um, renewable energy now. Wow. And, um, you know, that you can do it in a little country like that. And you could do it even in a state. We, you know, we, uh, in 2008, we passed the renewable energy standards. And I'd like to see us, um, you know, continue I, as a senator. I'll be looking at those uh, uh, compliance reports and how we're doing on it. And I, you know, want to make sure that we move towards. I think economic sustainability is going to be in the next fifty years is going to be based on whether or not we have environmental stability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very important and big issue, and one that is certainly coming up a lot in Missouri. Uh, and the benefit of our state, the unique position of our state being right in the middle of everything in the country uh, is, a, is a very important one. Oh, I've got to get white. Hold up. Oh, I missed her. I was going to get a good oh, wide angle that. of her. But yeah, we've got that blur. Oh, there she is. Isn't she pretty? Oh, she is. Oh, that's wonderful. She's yeah. a pretty baby. Yeah, we've been doing this thing. So we used to do every Friday, it would be someone would, would uh, submit their, and you're very welcome to do this, but they'd submit their animal from around uh, the state and we'd, we'd put them up and we had, we've had lots of things. We've had horses, we've had uh, donkey, I think, <laughs> once. Yeah, but but lot, you know, right. folks from all over, they just put them in. Uh, these past couple of Fridays... Uh, and maybe it's a benefit to me losing for them. Uh, but these past couple of Fridays, we've, we've been trying to take uh, uh, animals at different shelters throughout the state um, and, and say, hey, here's the one we're highlighting. So we actually did highlight one uh, in your district uh, in, in celebration of you coming on. We did yesterday. So uh, nice. it was Second Chance in Columbia is the one that we were uh, – uh, we were well, Izzy, Izzy has a campaign T-shirt, but she doesn't like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. I mean, yeah, it's tough to get those things on. Yeah. The only other it. thing we haven't talked about a lot, and we won't have time now, but is and you would you're very interested in this subject too is criminal justice reform. Yes. 
and I will be working with my colleagues um, across the Senate to work on the things that are important to them. I've seen um, the agenda that they've set, and I I think it's a worthy agenda that we should work on, make sure it gets um, passed next year as soon as possible. We should not delay. Yeah, yeah, and I think... Um, you know, I've been trying to make this point, and um, uh, <laughs> Brian Senator Williams has been making this point too. But you know, when we talk about dealing with crime and violent crime, especially if you separate that out from accountability, separate that out from building a justice system that truly works for everybody, you've already got folks who don't trust that system, who don't want to participate who are worried if they participate, what's going to happen to them. And so when you separate those two things and then expect everything to get fixed on its own, it it doesn't. And so I think it's very important that we keep that focus on uh, any of these kinds of issues when we're talking about increased prosecutions. You also have to talk about uh, smart prosecute smart solutions, making sure our public defender system, all of these different things that are really neglected. I mean, it is a, Yeah. yeah. The whole process yeah. needs uh, redemption. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it needs a lot of, of, you know, us really looking at what what we're going to prioritize and what we think our values are. And that's really what, in the end, any justice system really needs to reflect. And and certainly I, I know this from having spoken to many Missourians, and I know you know this is true, too. None of us wants an unfair justice system. We don't want an unfair state. We don't want a state that is uh, uh, geared towards somebody else just because of a number in a bank account versus the rest of us. And I think that's kind of the general theme here already. That, go- that goes back to what we were talking about earlier yeah. is that, you know, we all have the same. We do have same goals. The two sides of the aisle yeah. have the same goals sometimes and just right. two, two totally different ways of getting there. Um, and so we've got to figure out where the dissonance uh, lies and try and get and, and get work past it and do at least a few good things yeah. and then do a few more good things. You might not get the whole orchard, you know, but if you can get uh, a couple of things done and then try again the next year, you know, I think that's how we have to we're going to have to approach this until, you know, until we, we get some more um fair maps and, you know, better representation and that kind of thing. Right. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm going to put your website up there too. It's baker4mo.com right there. You can all see it right there in the middle of your screen. Uh, So that's where they can go and they can learn about the campaign. They can also get involved in your campaign too. Is that right? That's right. There's a, there's a sign up to volunteer. Wonderful. Get involved. Good. Yeah. So go, go there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're doing good work. Thanks for joining us on the Alad Pod. You can participate in future town halls and see all of our past ones at aladgross.live. You can reach me there too, and I'd love to hear your ideas. For now, this is Alad Gross, and I'll see you on the next Alad Pod.